Hey, everybody. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, here with my cousin, Consigulary, one of my best friends, Perry. What's going on, Perry? Not much, man. Been doing doing well, just uh, enjoying some nice weather here, uh, hanging out with the family, fixing to uh, throw some, some chicken on the smoker later. And I uh, think uh, if all goes well, I'm going to try to break ground on my, my uh, pull-up bar um, that I'm putting in the backyard later this afternoon. I think I told you a little bit about my plans for that. So, um, yeah, things are going pretty good. Can't complain. How about yourself? Not too bad, man. Yeah, that's that's awesome about the pull-up bar. Um, it'd be cool to kind of start building out your little home gym there. I think we talked about you're going to grab maybe some kettlebells, and you've already got the weight vest. So with a pull-up bar, kettlebells, and a weight vest, you can get a lot done. Yeah, that's the plan. I think I'm uh, if I have time before before supper's ready, I think I might go try to get a little run in too. Listen to Pete the other day got me motivated to, to get back out there and start running again. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be good to, to start, start uh, getting back into better shape here. It's, it's kind of been, been a little while for me, a bit slacking. So um, that's, that's the plan. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to knock out a long run today. I'm probably going to go five, six miles longs relative, I guess, when you're looking at a marathon, but for where I'm at right now, six is pretty long. So, but on the subject of fitness, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest. Today we've got our pro strongman. You guys have heard a lot about him so far in the last uh, couple episodes, but we've got Anthony here. He's our resident team member, uh, strength and conditioning coach and professional strongman. What's going on, Anthony? What's up, man? I'm doing well. Anthony and I met via Instagram probably about a year and a half ago. Um, we kind of chatted back and forth about some training stuff. I asked him some advice. I saw this was back when he was kind of seemed to be relatively new to the Instagram game and, uh, what struck me was just like how authentic Anthony was. And as we continued to kind of have a little relationship, I reached out to him about joining the team about November, 2019. So it's been about a little over a year now uh, when he came out and kind of joined on. It was at the very early inception of the team when I started reaching out to some guys on social media and he's been a huge asset. It's been awesome to have a guy as professional and have the subject matter expert, um, that, that Anthony is in pretty much all things strength and conditioning. He's been, he's been huge. He actually did a little bit of my programming um, kind of early on and, and it was pretty awesome to, uh, to have him, but, but yeah, Anthony, uh, you want to go into a little bit of detail about what your life was like growing up and how hunting factored into that? Cause I know you've been hunting since you were like 15. Yeah. Yeah. I've been hunting. Oh, I've been outdoors. I mean, my entire life. So my family, uh, I was born, actually I was born in Virginia believe it or not, um, in Bedford County. And then, but I grew up in Pennsylvania and where I grew up is all farm country. I mean, as we're recording this right now, I'm staring outside and all I see is barns and cornfields and Amish people. Um, and so I grew up in a very small farming community. Um, so it was very country. Um, everybody spent a lot of time outdoors, very blue collar. That's just the kind of the way I grew up. My dad was in construction. My dad's electrician. So was my grandfather, um, and my uncle. And so growing up with my cousins and stuff, we were always outside building forts, lighting fires. Um, when we were young, we would take the guns out and go hunt for squirrels and rabbits and probably illegally half the time. We didn't know. Uh, we were just out in the woods having fun, right? Uh, but we grew up just just camping, spending time outside, hiking, everything else. Um, my dad took me hunting when I was like 10. I didn't start getting serious about it until I was about 15 or 16. And then um, I started hunting a lot in college. So I went to college in Northern Wisconsin and uh, I mean, that's some cold weather right there. Just 
let me tell you what <laughs> if you don't have it's some cold dude if you don't have some cold weather gear you're in trouble uh plus it's uh it's a little scary out there there's a lot of bears and wolves uh so that was a lot of fun but uh i hunted a lot in wisconsin because it was such such great hunting up there um but yeah the outdoors has always been a huge part of my life like it's 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 what we do uh, my wife's family, same way. They're from Virginia. My father-in-law is a huge hunter. I would actually say when I met her uh, and started dating her, um, I got even more into it because that's all he did. And my brother-in-law was like, anytime we were together, we were in the woods. So, um, so yeah, hunting has always played a big role in my life. But it's funny, as I grow older, it's like I'm getting more and more and more into it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens over the next couple of years, but I would love to get a chance to go out West and do some big game hunts. And uh, I want to go to Alaska, man. I want to go to someplace so remote. I got to get dropped in by a helicopter and uh, hike for you know, a week to get to where we're going. That'd be awesome. Oh yeah. That's uh, I've got an Alaska trip tentatively planned for the summer to go after black bears. So I'm, I definitely feel that, uh, that oh, desire man. to go up there. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, 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 It'll be a good trip, I think. Uh, the uh, probably the most hardcore hunt I've ever been on, definitely. Yeah, for sure. What'd you study in college? In college, okay. So I grew up in a very, um, very conservative Christian family. I went to a small Christian college in northern Wisconsin, and my degree is in theology and philosophy with a minor in Greek. So believe it or not, I can read an old dead language, <laughs> which I don't use anymore at all. Uh, but yeah, so I have a I have a bachelor's degree in that, and then um, when we moved, we got married. We moved to Kentucky, and I started going to um, Southern Seminary in Louisville to pursue uh, my master's degree. But while we were while I was in school doing that, uh, my wife got pregnant with our first, and um, you know I'm just trying to work and take care of my family. And at the time, um, I was working as an electrician, because that's what I grew up doing. Uh, but this is right around, you know, the economic downturn in 2008. Uh, so I think I'm a little bit older than uh, older than you guys, but maybe not by much. But in 2008, you know, the economic downturn was terrible and nothing was going on. No building was going on. So I'm working like 20 hours a week with this electrical company. And to make ends meet, I got a job at Starbucks because they had benefits for part-time employees. And I thought, man, that, I, I need benefits. It's great. So um, ultimately, I got promoted through Starbucks really fast. Um, not, not because I'm anything special, honestly, man. I just attributed to the fact that I was raised with an old-fashioned work ethic. And I think I just showed up on drive, on time and actually like tried. <laughs> I wasn't that talented. I just like actually did my job. So I got promoted up there through Starbucks and ended up uh, doing that exclusively. And uh, that turned into almost a 10-year career with them moving up and uh, managing several high-volume stores and then eventually got recruited away from Starbucks by Amazon. So I spent a couple of years in operations management for Amazon before uh, before going full-time and starting my my coaching business. Um, that's, that's the Cliff Notes version. And I'll let you uh, ask any questions you want to kind of dig in between there. Yeah, definitely. So obviously those are two, you know, fairly successful uh, franchises there. Amazon and uh, Starbucks, the, the moderate success, especially Amazon. <laughs> yeah. We're, 
working for those two companies, what are some of the takeaways that you, you learned and that you kind of took forward into launching your own thing? Yeah. So um, it, it's funny you say that. I think about it all the time, like both of those companies were instrumental in my ability to uh, run a business for myself because Starbucks taught me how to manage a P&L for a store that's doing several million in sales. And as I grew and elevated, I managed multiple stores. So uh, I learned a lot about people leadership as well. So you learn the business side of how to, you know, manage inventory and logistics and things like that. Um, and how to drive a profit. You learn a lot about customer service and sales and all of that. But I also learned a lot about people leadership. I've always been a pretty charismatic person and kind of, I can engage and become friends with just about anybody, regardless of their their background or socioeconomic status or whatever. I, I've, I've just, uh, even in high school, I was never really put into a box. Like, you know, I will, I can hang out with any of the kids. I can hang out with the jocks. I can play some video games with the nerds and, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, so learned a lot about people management. And then when Amazon recruited me, I was actually terrified. And that's the reason that I went to them. I know that sounds odd, but I had actually been recently at that time was around the time when David Goggins book came out and I was really challenging myself to do hard things. And when I got recruited to Amazon, I thought, man, this is going to be tough because with Starbucks, I started at the very bottom rung of the ladder and I had grown up into the organization. I was there for a long time. I was one of the most tenured people in our city in Lexington, Kentucky. And so I was leading from a place of subject matter expertise, which is much different than getting thrust into a role in customer service for a tech company where they're bringing me in to lead to lead other leaders. I'm a leader of leaders. And not only that, I'm leading leaders who know more than I do. So I, I can't lead from subject matter expertise anymore. I had to lead by building effective relationships. Um, and it was, it was, uh, it was a challenge and it was going to be, it was going to be hard for me. So I took the opportunities because I wanted to kind of test my ability to lead in a different scenario. And at Amazon, it was awesome because they are a data-driven company. Everything they do is data. I mean, we lived our lives in Excel and spreadsheets. Uh, and what else was crazy is that at Starbucks, you know, the consequence of screwing up somebody's drink order is $5 and you remake it and, you know, apologize and they're on their way. Whereas with Amazon, you know, when we're making decisions, the the cost and the ramifications are millions of dollars. And so the cost was a lot higher. And so data was everything. So it taught me how to use data to drive decision-making. Um, and I use that to this day, even in my own business, even, even with how I do on social media, right? So every client that I've ever coached, I have in a, in a Google sheet and I have, where have I met them? Where did I meet them? Where do we mainly connect on social media? Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? Um, and that just allows me the breakdown to see and understand where my customer base is coming from and where I should put most of my energy. And one of the things that I discovered is that typically my clients come from, um, I usually meet them first in person and then we connect later and I follow up with them on social media or it becomes word of mouth through other clients that I have. And so, uh, you know, spending lots of time in those two companies has, was immensely helpful you know when i branched out and decided to do my own thing um yeah again i could i could talk for a long time about about that but uh that's the 
that's the short version. I don't want to bore you guys with Starbucks and Amazon stories. No, that's really good stuff. And it's extremely applicable, you know, as where I'm taking the HLE and what I'm looking at and, you know, kind of get your take on it is looking at the balance between the analytics and the data to the kind of the, the instinct and then the interpersonal side of that customer interaction, I think it's kind of, it can be hard to balance with, we have so much information that you can get now. Like you can look at the analytics of the podcast. Where is it being downloaded the most? Uh, same with like sales, you can really get in the weeds with these numbers. And I think you can kind of get lost in that. And I think it really pays off to have an idea and an understanding of those analytics, but then also just like follow your gut because the numbers don't always tell the, the full story. No, that's right. That's right. Well, I think one thing too, that you also learn from both Starbucks and Amazon is if you obsess over the customer experience, you're always going to win. Um, they both did that fantastically well. And Bezos talks about that all the time, just obsessing over the customer experience, you know, uh, so to me, you know, one of the things that I do, it's a very simple thing. It's a very small thing, but you know, a lot of, I'll put questions out there basically for my clients and I'll ask, you know, you've seen my check-in sheets, Luke, but like, I'm always asking like, Hey, what are some roadblocks? What is something I can help you overcome? And because until you hear people or give them a chance to voice their concerns or give you their ideas, you don't know what to focus on. And here's the thing, people aren't going to willingly tell you. And even your closest friends, you know, honestly, you could share this podcast with your mom and be like, hey, what do you think of the podcast? And she's like, it's great, sweetie. Right. She's like, you're going to have to dig out that hard feedback to help you grow and get better. She's going to tell me not to say fuck so many times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying, right? Like you have to dig and work hard for that feedback, but customer feedback is critical because they're the ones making all the decisions and they vote with their dollars, right? Yep. (laughs) And they vote with their downloads and their, so um, I think you could screw up a lot. Like you could overanalyze your numbers. You could make the wrong decision on what you think is good analysis. But if you obsess over the customer experience, you know, I think you're going to still trend in the right direction. You might be, you might not be precise, but you're going to be accurate. That makes sense. That's that's a good point. That totally makes sense. And I think that's one thing that I've kind of accidentally done right with uh, HLE is like we've, I mess up orders. It's me by myself trying to get all these things together, usually, you know, at five in the morning before I go to work. And so uh, always trying to overcompensate if I do make a mistake, if, you know, try to really push, you know, the customer and consumers to give me that feedback, I think is is going really well. I mean, I'm daily posting polls and and questions and getting people to give me what they want, because ultimately that's what matters is what that uh, the customer wants. And I think that's applicable across all, all, you know, industry. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I mean, that's what innovation is. I think a lot of times people think innovation is like an invention, a whole new way of doing something. I think innovation really is just a series of, you know, microscopically small decisions to improve on what already exists just do it incrementally better right you don't have to reinvent the wheel but you can do this thing that you're out slightly better um, and improve on what already exists that's innovation too i think and that's what people are looking for yeah i think today there's a there's kind of a dearth of customer service in a lot of industries i'm unfortunately i'm seeing it in the hunting industry there's only a few companies that i interact with 
purchasing their products that I really feel that they're really valuing my business and my dollars. A lot of it's just like a number or another, you know, number or another dollar. And, and we're losing a bit of that mom and pop type feel. And I think with social media, we have the ability to now take, we can take business and customer service and roll it back a hundred years because you have this storefront medium where I can interact with the 4,000 people that follow Hunt, Lift Eat on a daily basis, just like you know, you used to be able to do if you're running like the, the local outfitter store. And that's powerful. And I think more companies and more people starting out should leverage that because I really love the fact that I can interact with our consumer base and too many. And I feel like in other industries, they're starting to understand that. But I, with social media and stuff, the hunting industry is like three to five years behind everybody else. That's what I've really started to notice. And I think if you can leverage the ability to have that interaction it just really builds that brand loyalty because the consumers understand that we give a shit about them. Yeah. Well, I think it's a natural progression, right? When you start something, you are acutely aware that without your customers, you have no business. And so you have to be a customer obsessed, but then as you grow and grow and grow, it's like, you have to be intentional to keep that. Otherwise you're going to get so big. I mean, here's the deal, dude. I hate Walmart. Like I will avoid Walmart at all costs. But at the end of the day, my wife needed something the other day and I live out in the sticks and I knew I could get it at Walmart. And so I went in anyway, and that's the brand power they have. And I think sometimes that businesses get so big that they realize like, look, man, we have this brand power. Like at the end of the day, if McDonald's screws your order up and you stop going, it doesn't matter because <laughs> they've gotten so big. And I think unfortunately, you know, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that's just a reality. As you start to grow, you start to depend less and less and less on that. And the companies who do it right, like Amazon, man, have any of you guys ever tried to return anything to Amazon? Because I'll tell you what, you know, I worked there for years. If you guys have a problem with Amazon and you call in, they're going to bend over backwards to fix your problem. <laughs> and I think that's what customers want. And that's what companies that do it right look like. And that's why Starbucks and Amazon are still so successful. You know, Starbucks has the largest customer loyalty program in the world. In 2017, there were more dollars loaded onto Starbucks gift cards than existed in all of JP Morgan Chase Bank. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty freaking crazy. That's <laughs> right? incredible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, customer service goes a long way. It's It's pretty... It's pretty incredible when when a company of that you know of that magnitude that has that that kind of scalability, Amazon, because you know I, I agree one hundred percent. You know we we've we've returned stuff to Amazon plenty of times, and it's dude, it's almost effortless. I mean they you know they go it, they clearly go out of their way to try to consider all of the logistics that are going to go into a person mistakenly order a you know, a wrong product or, you know, getting something that they, they, they find out, you know, they don't need or is, you know, the wrong size or, or whatever. And when you can build that kind of, you know, the size of that company, whether it's Starbucks or Amazon, and still have that ability to make your customer feel like they're an actual person and that they're going to be taken care of, that is, that's really something. Yeah, totally agree. And that's why Amazon has a, you know, the first company I think in the world to hit a trillion dollar market cap. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable how one man can literally change how the world does commerce. Like it's it's wild. 
So everybody wants to shit on Jeff Bezos for being, you know, the richest guy in the world. And it's like, well, he literally changed the world. He has earned that value. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, we can, we can pivot off business here a little bit and kind of let's, let's kind of do a deep dive onto uh, your journey into uh, competing in a strongman. Cause like when you correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I think you were active, but you weren't super into fitness about this time. And then you started really deciding to commit yourself into the strongman world. Kind of tell us what that looks like. Yeah. So played sports through high school. Then uh, I started working when I was like 16. So I didn't play any sports my sophomore or rather my junior or senior year of high school. I started working and um, man, I'm from the country of down home, good cooking, just meat and potatoes and all these Amish people's baked goods and I fluffed up pretty good. And my freshman year of college, I stepped on the scale in a friend's room and I was, I was big. Like I was big, big. I was like 260 pounds, but the 260 pounds of just pure lard, man. I couldn't do a push up. I mean, I was winded walking up the stairs and what the real impetus for change was is I had a bunch of size 38 pants and I was going to have to start moving to forties. I couldn't, they were getting tight on me. And I just decided I literally just decided it was the first day back of spring semester that I'm losing weight the end. And I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue about nutrition. I just, I knew fundamentally that what was crap and what wasn't. And so I went into the gym the first morning and I said, I'm going to run as many laps around the gym as I possibly can. Remember this is Northern Wisconsin. So you're not running outside. Um, I made it six laps <laughs> before I was like, okay, I'm tapping out. And I just decided that day I'm adding a lap every single day. Like I, that's just what I'm going to do. And I did. And I, and I, um, I went to, you know, I ate lunch there, what was served at the cafeteria and stuff. And I just decided that, okay, I'm eating only protein and vegetables. I'm just, I'm not eating any carbs. Now, I didn't have anything against carbs at the time. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that meat and veggies were the way to go. So I ate meat and veggies and I allowed myself one kind of splurge fun day on Sundays. So on a Sunday is when I would, you know, eat dessert, junk food, hang out with my friends. I did this and I lost 90 pounds from January to July of that year. I got really thin, like really thin, but I was running every single day. I did not miss a single day in there. And the problem is I started to have a really, really bad pain in my groin. I went to the doctor and he was like, you got to stop running for a while. He's like, you've literally worn the cartilage away and it's bone on bone in your pelvis. And it sucked because I was on this great weight loss journey. I mean, I was thin. I was down like 170 pounds, 165, whatever it was. And, you know, I'm looking good. I was really thin. You know, I felt much better. People were complimenting me, yada, yada. Uh, but I, it was hurting to walk, man. Like it just, every time I took a step, like right there in the front of my hips, like groin area, it was just grinding. So I just stopped running for a while. And it was a buddy of mine. I was like, Hey, uh, he's actually in the army as well. He was like, Hey, why don't, uh, why don't you just uh, come with me to the weight room? Let's start lifting. I'm like, okay. You know, the first thing about lifting really. And, you know, of course, what do we do? We just bench press and curl because, idiots <laughs> and so i bench pressed and curled for like four years you know the occasional leg press um and you know deadlifts here and there but but it did get me into it did add a lot of size right i remember i couldn't even bench press 95 pounds when i started lifting and then i benched 300 for the first time when i was uh, my senior a senior in college um 
but yeah, that got me in a lot better shape. Started playing intramural sports, graduated, and then, you know, so I kept my love of fitness up, and I was just training at this gym, and I'm still I'm hunting at the time and all this, and uh, I was starting to get strong in the big movements, you know, the squat, the bench, and the deadlift, but I wasn't functionally fit. So two things happened. It was kind of ironic. It was in 2013, I was at the gym training and a buddy of mine says, hey, we're doing farmer's carries up back. Do you want to do, do it with us? I said, what's a farmer's carry? And we go up back and it's basically you just have, you know, a weight on one side of your on either hand and you pick it up and you just, you walk. Like if you're holding two propane tanks or something or whatever the case might be. And you just walk a certain specified distance as fast as you can. I thought, okay, cool. Well, my buddy absolutely smoked me at 225 pounds per hand. So he's got 440 pounds or 450 pounds. And he just hauls like 60 feet, just starts moving. And I thought, well, he's smaller than me. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to do this. So I pick it up and I'm waddling like a drunk baby deer. It was awful. I barely made it. And I just thought, I'm like, okay, well I have to get better at that. Cause I'm super competitive. Um, and that very next weekend, ironically, we were going down to Virginia and I was going to spend the weekend and hunt with my father-in-law. But while we were down there, we were doing some work around his property. And he had a big old flatbed truck. And he was, we were taking the standards off of it. And I just remember, you know, my father-in-law, I could work circles around him in the gym as far as just a bench press, a squat, or a deadlift. I just remember working with him for several hours that day doing, you know, farm work, basically. And him just working circles around me. So I realized that day, I'm like, I'm strong-ish, but I'm not functional at all. Like I'm strong in one dimension, which is really not applicable to life. <laughs> um, he's just, I'm up there trying to struggling to get these standards off the side of the truck. And he's just up there just manhandling it. And so um, that's, that's what kind of got me started into strongman. Cause I realized that strongman is, is a lot of moving with weird stuff. And so it's, it's heavy. Like you have to be strong, but you have to be athletic as well. And so that was kind of the draw for me. Power thing was pretty boring at that time. It was just three lifts. And again, it wasn't very functional. Like you got strong and you looked cool, but it's not something that you can really apply to everyday life. And um, so I just started training strongman with some friends on the weekend and I competed in my first competition, I think it was 2013. Um, I competed. I was addicted right away. It was awesome. And I competed about 35 times over the next several years and I competed as often as I possibly could and I realized about two years in that I was you know I was built to be pretty strong just the way my frame is and so and that I liked it and I thought now I have a real shot at this so um so I wanted to pursue my pro card as a middleweight and so middleweights I compete at 231 so I usually I have to cut weight every time I compete because I walk around about 255 260 um but yeah, I started pursuing that that pro card, and I was able to get my pro card in 2018, 19, 2019. Everything's getting confusing now. Um, 2019, 2019 is when I got my pro card, October of 2019. So at, at nationals, the national championships, and then uh, I did America's Strongest Man two weeks later with zero training because it was in my hometown which was a lot of fun. I ended up beating like five of the pros. I think I came in seventh in my first America's Strongest Man. And then my last, this past year, America's Strongest Man, I ended up winning, which was awesome. Um, it's kind of a bucket list item for me. I knew I was going to do well, but I didn't, I truly did not expect to win. 
I like I you know you train to win. But if I was being realistic and I saw the competitors on the floor, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a very competitive athlete. I'm going to push these guys and I'm going to be in the top five and I'm going to be a contender. But I really didn't know that, didn't think winning was in the cards this year. And uh, and I just had a fantastic, fantastic weekend. Everything came together and I was able to pull out the win. So it's nice to kind of be able to check a bucket list item off, you know, pretty early on in my, my pro career. So, so yeah, that's been my journey with strongman and, um, and I love it. The only thing I need to get back to a little bit is I'm hearing you guys talking about running and uh, I want to get back to some of my endurance. I've got a lot of, you know, I've got a lot of speed. I'll race anybody for, you know, um, hundred meters or whatever, but you know, we start, we start running two miles and I'm going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get some of that aerobic capacity back. Some of that athleticism. Sounds like someone else I know. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> with any running, but, but so that's wild. So you got your pro card in 2019, and then you won America's Strongest Man in 2020. That's a pretty yeah. Like I said, I didn't. I truly didn't expect it. I expected to do well. <laughs> yeah, that's but. that's wild. So what would you you know for guys starting out and whether it's you know strongest man trying to get into bodybuilding, any sort of competitive you know. I don't want to sport or whatever you want to call it. What would you tell them to like coming in, getting that pro card? And then, because I think a lot of people put limits on themselves. It's like, Oh, "Oh, I just started out. So I just want to be able to compete. I just want to be able to place. I just want to be, so like, what would you say as far as what they, where they should have their mindset as a young new athlete? So uh, the, I think the biggest thing that helped me right out of the gate was I got a coach. Because you don't know what you don't know. Um, and I see a lot of guys with exceptional talent that try to go it alone. And their training is all over the map. And they typically will only train the things they like. Like, you have to humble yourself, let your ego go, and get willing to do some stuff that you just hate. I still do things every session my coach puts in there. And I have a perfect example. I have a coach right now. Um and it's not that I can't do my own programming. I absolutely do. I usually do my own programming about six months out of the year um, to where, so I don't feel so pressured. I can just kind of go and have some fun and whatever. But when it's competition season, um, I need somebody else's eyes on my stuff. I want the accountability. And I know that he's going to put things in there that I probably wouldn't have put in there for myself uh, because I need to do them. And it's going to keep me healthy and well-rounded, but it's not glamorous and nobody likes to share those videos on Instagram. <laughs> uh, someone starting out though, let's just see. First off, there's a couple things, you know, some guys are just going to do this for fun because it's a hobby. And one of the things I love about the sport is the camaraderie and the camaraderie comes along at any level, especially in strongman. And so some of these guys will have no aspirations to become a pro, you know, they have, careers that they're already invested in and other hobbies. And this is just something that they do because they enjoy, they do it on the weekends, hang out with friends and they compete for the extra challenge. And if they win, fantastic. If not try again next time, but they're not, they're not pouring all in and that's okay. And to be honest, that probably should be a lot of people. Cause I'll just be straight with you guys. I did a lot of this wrong in the sense that, you know, if you're going to be great at something, it requires a degree of obsession 
And that's okay if you're in a spot in life where you can pour yourself into that and be obsessed. But I'll be perfectly transparent, and I'm, and I'm glad you're asking this, and I want people to hear this, and I tell this advice all the time. Dude, it put a strain on my marriage because I was all in on strongman. Like, I was all in, and so my family got sacrificed time and time again. And my wife and I talk about it all the time because she supports me big time. But, you know, if I could have done it differently, I absolutely would have. Uh, I would have, I would have tried to prioritize things a little bit better in my life. Um, yeah, I think it can be something that's addictive. It can be something that is all consuming and you really have to manage that, especially if you have a family and other responsibilities. So, um, yeah, get a coach, manage your time appropriately. And then the other thing, too, is there's so much good information with social media out there now. I think that's why the bar and the sport keeps rising, because if you watch World's Strongest Man in, like, 1986, I think they're winning the log press with, like, 280 pounds. Well, I mean, I've done 280 for, like, 16 reps in training. (laughs) Like, you're going to go to a show, you're going to go to a show, an amateur 105K show, and those guys are going to be pressing 280 for reps. And the bar of strength keeps rising and rising and rising. I remember when I started lifting weights, if you were an average middleweight dude, somewhere between 200 and 250 pounds, if you could deadlift 600, you were a cockstrong MFR. If you could deadlift 700, what the hell? If you deadlifted 800, you were a god and everyone worshipped at your feet. Nowadays, if you can't deadlift in the mid-700s as a amateur 105K, don't bother. <clears throat> it's unreal. That's wild. It's, it's unreal. Yes, they had the amateur national championships this past year, and I was there coaching some of my athletes, and they had a last man standing, basically max deadlift, and it was like 16, 13 or 16 105K amateurs pulled in the mid-700s with calibrated plates on a stiff bar, the hardest possible way to pull it. I'm like, what in the world? The, the sport has just... You know, you probably heard of, you know, Magnus Ver Magnuson and Samuel Magnuson and some of these old school strongmen. And you can watch videos of the early 90s of them doing stone loads and the crowd goes absolutely nuts when they load the final stones. And you hear the announcer and he says, this stone is 353 pounds. And I'm thinking to myself, "Um, we're getting ready to do a show as 105s. And we're going to be having to do like 450 for reps, <laughs> right? Like the current world record is well into the 600s. And so the bar of strength just keeps rising. And I think that's because of social media. You know, when, when Strongman first got started, the first Strongman, I believe, was 1977. It was 77 or 76. And it was put on because uh, it's a good spectator sport, right? Because back then they're doing yoke runs. You remember seeing guys run with refrigerators on their back and they're, they're flipping cars, right? Stuff like that. Um, they were not dedicated strong men. They were just big, huge dudes strong in their respective sports. So they had rugby players. They had football offensive linemen come in. They had just a hodgepodge of big, huge dudes and just see who's the strongest. And a lot of these guys went to the gym and trained like Arnold and trained like you know Franco and got huge and got jacked and then just showed up on the weekends to see who was strongest. But science has come so far that we know how to train specifically for strength. And not only that, we know how to peak strength. We know how to 
build a training program so that, oh, your competition's this day, we're going to peak you to be the strongest possible with on this day. <laughs> and and it's it's the training has gotten so advanced and so scientific that we're able to do that now. And it just wasn't really the case back then as much. And so you just see the sport evolving uh, to a to a crazy level, man. It's 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 really it's really interesting to watch. And what I think is really impressive is watch female strength sports. Females are doing things that are absolutely unheard of. I have a friend of mine who's a fellow middleweight pro um, named M. Murray, and she just posted a video. She's not a big girl. She's you know like five foot seven, five foot eight. 170 180 pounds and she just loaded a 300 pound atlas stone and she just did a 60 foot walk with a 710 pound yoke good lord i'm like what in the world <laughs> it's nuts how's that make you feel perry yeah gives me some hope <laughs> i've got several female friends that can overhead press well into the 200 pounds it's nuts how much do you think the uh the role of, of nutrition and, and what we've learned. I mean, you got, you got to imagine 20 or 30 years ago, uh, diet, nutrition, um, you know, we've learned a lot. We've come a long way in those, in those regards. How much, how much of a role do you think that's played in some of those, um, you know, some of that, that bar being raised from where it was 20 or 30 years ago? So I think it absolutely has helped. I mean, I don't know how much you guys follow powerlifting, but powerlifting in the eighties and early nineties was like the thought process was eat as much as humanly possible and get as big as possible. And you had a bunch of dudes walking around with huge guts, just really just they're fat slobs. And sure, they can squat 800, 900 pounds and bench press, you know, 600 pounds because there's no range of motion because they got such huge man boobs. But like, um, I feel attacked. <laughs> um, but that was, that was the, that was the way powerlifting looked. And then you started to see in the 2000s, you started to see a lot of these freak shows and Dan Green kind of pioneered the way. Like if, you know, if you have Google in front of you, just type in Dan Green powerlifter and you're going to see this guy who has an all-time world record at 220 and at 242, an absolute shredded monster who looks like he could step on a bodybuilding stage and squatting 800 pounds and deadlifting 800 pounds and 900 pounds and doing all these amazing feats of strength. And it began to be shown that with, Proper training and proper nutrition, you don't have to be a fat ass to be strong. And I, in fact, today, some of the strongest people on planet Earth, they're not that, they're not that, I mean, they're big, don't get me wrong, but they're not fat slobs, right? Um, nutrition, I think the biggest role, though, that nutrition has played is it, ex it just helps people stay healthier, right? Like, uh, we're in this for the long game. I mean, I want to be lifting when I'm 85 years old. And uh, proper nutrition along the way is a huge, huge bolster to that. Because otherwise, let's be real, a lot of these guys at the top end of the sport are juiced out of their minds, taking every drug under the sun. And when you combine that with a diet of McDonald's and Pizza Hut, I mean, you have a recipe for heart attacks and kidney failure pretty early on. And so nutrition has really changed the game and allowed people to play the game a lot longer and a lot safer. And then... When they're done and they decide they retire and it's time to just move on to a different pursuit in life, nutrition has set them up so that they can pivot to something different and not be destroyed because of how they abuse their body for 20, 30 years. So I think it's played a massive role. 
that's the perfect segue into to my next question, which is, you know, you went from working with Amazon, Starbucks, doing the strongman, and you started the transition into some coaching, and then you made the leap into full time coaching, owning your own coaching and business for strength and nutrition. What was that like? How, what was that leap like? Yeah. So, um, well, like I said, I've always loved working with people. And around the time I'd been listening, like I said, to a lot of David Goggins books and uh, different Gary V posts on Instagram and just realizing that I liked what I did at Amazon. I liked working for Starbucks, but man, I wanted to do so much more. And um, I knew that I was good with people. And I had always had roles as kind of a teacher, mentor, no matter what. I mean, I was a training store manager at Starbucks. I trained and onboarded new people at Amazon. So I thought, why not combine this? I know how to run a business. I've been doing it for a decade with Starbucks and now Amazon. I know how to lead people. I know how to collect and use data. Why don't I just do this with something I'm passionate about? And so it started out very small, me doing it for a couple of friends for free, really just to prove that I could get a result. And, uh, and I did, I got those results and it started getting more and more uh, clientele and it started to grow, it started to grow. And I, I talked with my family, I talked with my wife and I'm not gonna lie guys, it was scary. It's scary because Amazon was a fantastic job. I did not want to leave a job with, you know, a six figure income, health insurance benefits. And when I started Amazon stock was $400 a share. You can see where it's at now. <laughs> Right. So that was really secure. But woke culture got me, man. Woke culture got me. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Luke, and I don't care if people hear it now because, uh, you know, it is what it is. So I actually, so I posted some stuff on Facebook, um, totally mocking the women's march, <laughs> not mocking women for anybody who's listening to this, you know, women are great. I was what I was making fun of was the simple fact that we have people marching for rights in America while there's women literally in bondage and slavery in places in the Middle East. And you guys know about that well. And, and I was basically saying that we live in a dang free country. And instead of, you know, criticizing this place, we should be thankful for what we have. So I made a, I made a post about that. I made a post. Uh, this is back when tensions were really heightened with North Korea. And I, <laughs> I made a post, um, basically insinuating that we should just, you know, scorched earth policy on Kim Jong-un. And uh, those made it up the chain of command. And since I was a senior leader at Amazon, uh, my boss brought me into the office and he was a, you know, big proponent of free speech, big conservative guy. But he was like, dude, he's like, they're telling me I have to fire you. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so I've been wanting to go full time anyways. So he fought for me really, really hard and pushed back and they ended up giving me a six month severance. So I told my wife, basically I cashed out my stock. He brought me in and basically was like, Hey, you should cash out your stock because this is coming down the pike. And I know it is. And once it goes through, you're not going to cash it out. So I cashed out my stock. They gave me a six month severance. And then um, I decided to fight them for unemployment on top of that. <laughs> and which they didn't like too much. And here's the craziest part. My parents have always told me I should be a lawyer, but I basically protested and we went to court over it and I did not get a lawyer. I represented myself and uh, the judge gave me a turn to speak. And I basically demonstrated how 
their policy was discriminatory uh, against me, and she <laughs> awarded me uh, unemployment benefits. So I got six months severance and then six months unemployment. So I basically got an entire year close to of my salary and benefits from Amazon. And so I went hog wild during that year growing my business because I had, you know, my, my basis covered for the most part. So, uh, yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. It ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, because I don't know if I would have had the courage to take the leap from as great of a job as Amazon was, but I was forced to take the leap and it turned out to be like the best thing ever. So that's, a. Uh, yeah, that's how it all went down. That's wild. I guess the rest is history. But I mean, it's unfortunate that posts like that, I understand the level, you know, you got to have professionalism in the workplace, but especially something like that, where you weren't being really disrespectful, but you're just kind of voicing an opinion can result in, you know, being fired from your, your employment. That's, uh, that's, well, you know, there's more to that story too. I mean, I don't, yeah, it, the reality is it was. I know there was a specific person in the building who did not like at all of my, my stances on things and, uh, and specifically reported those things. And, and I know that because some friends told me that they had done that, which is so childish of someone to do. And the reason that I know that too, is those posts that they reported, they had to go back and scroll through my Facebook because I didn't post, I posted them before I was ever with Amazon. So they like literally went back and dug through prior posts Oh man. Yeah. They, they Brett Kavanaugh me, which I'm like, that's fine. Um, which is really funny to me because anybody that knows me knows I'm pretty libertarian on a lot of things. I just want like, you know, everybody just live as they want to live and leave me alone and stop taking my money. Government. Thanks. Also don't touch my guns. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's, that's pretty much my political philosophy. And so, uh, but that's not good enough. Unfortunately, when you live in this world, you're either you're either all in on woke culture and supporting it, or you're an enemy. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, we live in not to go down a rabbit hole here, but we live in weird times. I mean, when I post in the the Instagram store that's integrated with the website, I'll post pictures of you know hats, and they get tagged as violent and offensive. And it's I like, know. are you kidding me? I mean. And I've got to like send them up for review like eight times. And I think what happens is like whoever's on the desk for that is just like, no, no, no. And then somebody, you know, who's got half a brain looks at it and it's like, oh, this is for a ball cap. Like, it's not a big deal. But then, you know, the pictures that have uh, like there's one of Pete holding a shotgun and I tried to promote that and it got denied. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, man. Like he's holding a turkey shotgun. It's not tactical. It's a camouflage shotgun. And he's sitting there with the dog like. Which that whole that. Yeah, I don't want to rabbit trail too hard but that just kills me though because you know it's oh it's a scary black gun I'm like, you really, okay <laughs> there's so much you could say there but oh yeah we'll save that for uh, another podcast <laughs> yeah we can rant sometime that'd be fun yeah that would be fun we'll, we'll, do, a, we'll do a drunken rant podcast around a fire <laughs> we'll just turn on the mics and let happen what happened. Yeah, I was about to say I don't think that would be a podcast. That would just be a normal day up at Deer Camp. We'll just have to have the mics on. Pretty much. Yeah, man. It's a, a live look in. It's behind the scenes. Yeah, oh, we, we we might get flagged on that one for sure, but hey, it just goes to show cancel culture is a real thing. And it is a real thing. It, you know, it, it's it's crazy to see how, how the, uh, you know, for all the benefits and, we, and we've already touched on some of them in regard to social media, you also got to take the, the good with the bad and that stuff. It's, it's real. So, um, it is. That's another thing that, you know, I love about owning my own business 
is because I report to myself, <laughs> you know, uh, so I don't, nobody's going to flag me for anything that I post, you know, Instagram might, but that's, yeah, I mean, Instagram, my dogs are going crazy right now, uh, but Instagram, it's, it is a double-edged sword, but I do think that, I think Sean Whalen talks about that a lot, is he, he's able to make a lot of money via social media, he gets blocked all the time, and as much as I, I get frustrated and I'll bitch and complain about my personal page, I'll go, I'll get shadow banned constantly, like my engagement's so low nowadays, because I've just been, I went through a phase where I was posting a lot of posts that I knew was going to get censored because I was so annoyed of just like John gutting a deer and stuff. And uh, I don't think it did me any favors, but at the same time, we still have this free platform where we are able to have a voice and discuss these topics and get our message out. So it, and to to make money as well. So, you know, we we still got to be grateful for what we've got with the, with that. And I'm going to continue to use and leverage it until they ban me for good, I guess, until they trump me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. No, that's a good perspective. I mean, we, what a what a weird age we live in. I mean, we couldn't have fathomed this even 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, where you can make money off of these platforms and grow an internet-based business off of a social media site. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge opportunity. I don't think anybody, you know, 20 years ago, I don't think, I, there's no way I could have done this. Like, unless you were somebody who was plugged in with the industry, it was getting published in hunting magazines, like, how are you going to start your own brand? Like, you basically had to be tied to the big players. And now, like, that's why the gear is so much better now than it was 20 years ago, because everybody can sit there and be like, fuck, I need new gear. Like, this gear sucks. I'm going to develop my own company and make some gear. And then you get all these companies that are now competing to make the the best, you know, products out there. And it's, it's really awesome to see that competition kind of flourish. Yeah, it levels the playing field a lot, right? Like, a lot of people could get into the game that could never have gotten into the game before. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, I couldn't have done that as well. And I mean, that's, the, you know, go ahead and segue into, into my next question for you is, you know, when I reached out to you about a year ago, what was, you know, it was, we were still in our infancy. And I think I only had a few hats for sale, maybe one t-shirt when I reached out. And, uh, but what kind of attracted you when I asked if you wanted to join the team, you know, early on? Well, I liked a lot of the posts I'd seen you guys putting up. I liked the vibe. Um, you know, I think I went to the website, read through it. I thought, man, this is a mission that, you know, I could get behind. And I always like when when you're putting your money into a product that you know is is trying to be bigger than just itself and do something else. So, uh, and it's also at a time, too, when, you know, hunting rights are constantly being challenged from all sides. So, to me, it's like anything that I could do to help advance a love for hunting, knowledge about hunting, you know, whatever the case might be, I'm all over it. So it was kind of really a no brainer for me, to be perfectly honest. I didn't really deliberate that long. I just thought this is super cool. And uh, yeah, and I never really imagined, honestly, at the time, like moving forward, how you're going to grow this. And you and I have talked about plenty of ideas that you've had. It's pretty cool. And the podcast, never knew any of that was going to be a part of it. Uh, I just, I just like the idea. So I think now even more, it's, it's pretty cool to think about what we could do with it. Yeah, man. I mean, super glad to have you as part of the team. Uh, definite value added. It, it's kind of wild the parallels as you know, you got to come down to a deer camp with us uh, after Christmas and and hang out, and it was a lot of fun. And just 
how close uh, your wife's family lived to, to where our farm is. And you were like, oh, we got family in, in Marion. And I was like, yeah, it's like 40 minutes from here. And we've got a ton of family in Marion. So there's some pretty wild, small world stuff. Uh, we had lived when I was a kid up in Pennsylvania, not far from where you live now. So it's pretty, pretty wild. Yeah, that was wild. Man. It's a small world. It's a small world. I didn't realize when I was down there visiting you guys how close we were to Marion. I was like, dang, okay. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's definitely, I think, been a, a great partnership. And and like you said, I'm really excited for where we're going in the future. We've got some pretty cool stuff in the works. You know, I'm thinking big picture. We've got, you know, hard, you know, product drops and building out the new team where we can bring, you know, new guys in uh, and, and really grow that aspect with some of the, the programs. I know you're developing a program that we're going to offer for free. And then me and you are going to work together on some programs that we're going to offer for like the paid team membership, which would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. But yeah, we're, we're coming up on an hour now, so we can go ahead and start r- rolling up with our, uh, with our closing comments and, and, and uh, kind of wrap this one up. Perry, I'll turn it over to you, man. No, this has been great, Anthony. Appreciate you uh, coming on here. I think it's, I think it's going to be real, real helpful for the, uh, the listeners to get a little backstory on, on how you, connected with Luke and to bring that, um, you know, that subject matter expertise from the world of strongman and the, uh, the strength and nutrition training that you do is awesome. I know that's something that Luke has been, been super pumped about. And, uh, for someone like me who has, you know, at times in my life been, been pretty active and, and, you know, been, been pretty good about trying to stay in shape, taking care of myself. And then other times like now letting that slide a little bit, I'm excited because it gives me, uh, more opportunities to to better myself, and I think that's that's something that you know the partnership is going to be able to offer the team and um, you know the community at large that that's going to be highly beneficial to folks. So it, it was great having you come down for Deer Camp, pick your brain on some of that stuff, and yeah, I'm just I'm just excited to see where this goes. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff in the works, and it's it's going to be a fun ride. It is, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Where can everybody uh, find you on uh, social media, your Twitter and Instagram and everything? Yeah, sure. So Instagram's where I'm most active. Um, so it's just Anthony105K Pro Strongman. Um, Twitter is Anthony Deal 3 And then I'm on Facebook, but uh, barely. So Instagram is definitely the place to hit me up if you have any questions. And by all means, hit me up. Awesome. Yeah, guys, definitely go check out his Instagram. Um, Follow us on Instagram at HuntLiftedOfficial. Uh, my personal Instagram is Luke.D.Cox. And definitely be sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you're going through Apple, drop us a rating and review. Let us know what you think and shoot any suggestions or questions you'd like us to ask going forward into our Instagram DMs. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you guys so much. As always, we have the best fan base out there. Thanks.